Blog Talk Radio. In the state of Florida, I'm your host, Sammy G, and as always with me is the Doc. Doc, how was your weekend? Man, what a crazy week for college football. If you don't love college football, then you ain't breathing. Man, that was it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the show. It's going to be a good one. Uh, let's take a moment to introduce our sponsor for this week. Post game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. <laughs> Oh, this guy's something else. This uh, this week's sponsor, Sammy Safe Ride USA. Sammy Safe Ride is the best and safest ride share servicing Volusia County. Going out of town or on business or going away for the holidays, Sammy Safe Ride travels to all airports in Daytona, Orlando, and Jacksonville, Florida. With the holidays right around the corner and Christmas parties coming up, call Sammy Safe Ride at 785-248-9200. Or visit him on Facebook to book your ride today. Doc, I love that Night Rider sound. That's that sound that's great. I gotta tell you, it's, it's great. Sammy Safe <laughs> Rides, dude. The the, the the best riding experience in Daytona Beach. Indeed it is. And, and an even better experience is why don't you give the listeners the call in number so because we, we're gonna have a show for them to call into today. Yeah, please give us a call. Big show today, six five seven three eight three. One six eight four. That's six five seven three eight three one six eight four. And later in the show, we have special guest Chris Doring from the SEC Network coming on today. Uh, we got a ton of stuff to get into, and let's just go ahead and get into it now, Doc. Let's get these recaps out of the way because I know everybody wants to get in get into what's been going on with the coaching carousel. And uh, let's just start right now with with our first game, uh, the Miami Hurricanes this weekend. They had been playing like crap. Uh, for a few weeks now, with, with with exception to the Notre Dame game. But you and I talked about it. We figured that they could be poised for a loss, and they got one. They traveled up to Pittsburgh and lost 24-14 to uh, this past weekend. And, and, Doc, as we've said, man, they just they just weren't crisp recently. And it was a matter of time. And some people say it's better to lose one now than lose it in the playoffs. So they got their loss, and hopefully that's humbled them up a little bit. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, it's 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 you thinking of all the games they had this year, this would not be the one that tripped them up. Um, you know, but you you got a dose of reality down there. All uh, the Hurricane fans, Uncle Luke uh, from Two Live Crew was eating a bunch of crow. He's been talking so much smack this year. I remember he tweeted out, uh, I think when Miami beat Notre Dame, he goes, "Oh, you guys in Gainesville and Tallahassee can go party in the cow pastures." We- when we win, well, Uncle Luke, what happened, buddy? What happened this week? <laughs> well, and I know he was also a big boy, and he also tweeted out that he's man enough to take all the, the criticism, so he welcomed anyone to, to chime in to him on his Twitter feed uh, and, and say whatever they wanted to say to him. Uh, Miami now is actually going this week to play Clemson in the ACC championship game in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, essentially a home game for Clemson. I know they're from South Carolina, but Charlotte's just up the street from them. Uh, who, who do you got in this game, uh, Doc? What do you think is going to happen here? You know, it's still in theory, um, you know, for, for we'll get into the uh, college football rankings just came out, uh, but we'll get into that a little more. In theory, it's still probably 
pretty close to being a playing game, but but you got to imagine that Miami had the the wind taken out of their sails last week and uh, are not going to be coming in with with kind of the the same chutzpah, so to speak, as they used to have. So I think Clemson's got this one, uh, but nonetheless, it's still sort of a playing game for all intents and purposes. This can go either way for the Hurricanes. I feel like they're either down right now and they're just kind of washed out the season because it looked like they had been running out of gas a little bit in their last couple performances, or they can take this as motivation, rise to the top, and show us how the Canes that beat Notre Dame bring that team to the game and see what happens with the Clemson Tigers. Uh, moving on, the battle, excuse me, the war on I-4 we talked a lot about, and you know, obviously I'm a big fan of, of the UCF Knights this year. I just jumped on the bandwagon. I'm not afraid to tell anybody. Uh, they had a great game. The Warren I-4 was the best game in the state of Florida all year long. And I got to tell you, USF put up a valiant effort. And if it wasn't for that late fumble, uh, you know, they looked like they might have gone down and scored and, and kind of stole this one from UCF as well, or at least tied it up to take it into overtime. Uh, but UCF won the game 49-42. to And, Doc, I, I know you watched the game. Mackenzie Melton, I, I got to tell you, this kid is unbelievable. Um, and, and just to give you a comparison of this quarterback – I did a little research on him and Baker Mayfield, and I know you saw this at some point. But Mackenzie Milton, I'm going to give you some comparisons here, okay? Because I know you're a big Maker, Baker Mayfield fan. Completion percentage <laughs> for Baker Mayfield, 71%. Completion percentage for Mackenzie Milton, 70%. Pass efficiency for Baker Mayfield, 199. Pass efficiency for Mackenzie Milton, 186. Total touchdowns, 39 for Baker, 31 for Mackenzie. Interceptions, 5-5, five and five, tied. These guys are as close as you can possibly be to being identical when it comes to being a quarterback this year. And these guys, you know, I don't want to talk just yet about them getting snubbed again this week in the playoff, in the playoff picture. Um, but I mean, you saw it. they put up points. These guys are just they're 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 hitting on all cylinders. Uh, you know, they got a big game this weekend again against uh, Memphis in the AAC championship game. Uh, that is in Orlando at Spectrum Stadium on the campus of UCF. Uh, but, you know, UCF did beat Memphis already this year, 40 to 13. 40 to 13. This is coming from a, from a Memphis Tiger team who's averaged 33 points a game, uh, while UCF is averaging 49 points a game since the first time they met. So it's going to be a slugfest, Doc. What do you think? You know, I, I got to respect the fact that you brought out all those numbers to, to prove your point, but but I certainly I think you're going to get some argument from the from the Power Five conferences and the Big Ten um, as far as the the uh, competition they're playing. But nonetheless, that that was a that was a, a hell of a game. That was a lot of fun, you know, and, and it it brought a sense of pride to be somebody who grew up. In the state of Florida, uh, I was on the the west coast of the United States, uh, about as far as, as far away as you can get from Florida, and watching that game on I believe it was on CBS, but national television on the west coast of the United States, watching UCF versus USF in prime time, and then watching Twitter go absolutely nuts. You had Geraldo Rivera tweeting about UCF versus USF and it really brought a lot of pride to me as, as a as a Florida state of Florida guy growing up to, to see that happen because it was it was a fun game and that's what makes college football special and all you NFL fans I've got a lot of respect for you I got a lot of respect for the guys who who are fans of their hometown team but but you guys cannot hold a candle 
to the excitement that happens on a week-to-week basis in college football because that was unbelievable. But nonetheless, to answer your question, I I gotta believe that UCF is is is, is hot right now. Um, you know, I think that they've already they've already got Memphis's number that they're in their heads, and I think UCF's gonna gonna pull this one out again. I I would have to agree, and like I said, just the average points alone. You know, like I told you before, their defense isn't great. They showed that against a good team in USF who can score. Uh, you know, Quentin Flowers, that, that kid's unbelievable. He ran all over the field. He had his best day of passing. I've seen him have all year long. He just happened to bring it out at the right time. They just came up a little short. UCF gets the win and goes to the AAC Conference Championship against Memphis. Moving on, Charlotte at FAU. Your your buddy Lane Kiffin down there at FAU is he's he's having an unbelievable season. They won 31 to 12 against Charlotte. FAU finishes nine and three with an overall record, eight and zero in conference USA play, and they're going to face North Texas in Boca Raton this weekend for the conference championship. I actually know a coach at North Texas. Uh, that would be um, uh, of course. As soon as I say it, I can't remember. Tashard Choice. Tashard Choice. Uh, former Georgia Tech running back who played in the NFL. He's actually a coach at North Texas. And I've been watching him tweet all year about this North Texas team. And I watched them a couple of weeks ago. They're not bad. But I don't know if they have enough what it takes to beat uh, to beat the FAU Owls uh, down in, in South Florida. I know you're a big fan of them as well. Yeah, the, the, the fighting Lane Kiffins down there in Boca Raton. He be, Between uh, kicking everybody's butt and running um, a blistering offense with Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator – and it's amazing with all the controversy that just went down with Tennessee hire. We'll talk about a little bit more. But Kendall Bryles is, is uh, flown under the radar as, as the offensive coordinator down there at FAU, and they are setting the, 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 the field on fire. And in between kicking everybody's ass, you got Lane Kiffin tweeting out pictures of Nick Saban and tweeting out pictures of him uh, in Knoxville and, and tweeting out pictures of his name written on the rock in Knoxville. So you got you to got, you enjoy the way that Lane Kiffin has fun with uh, social media and the success. Um, you know, but but it you know the 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 mean green of North Texas, uh, I don't think can uh, can stands a chance against uh, the, the 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 what's it called the the blur I think they call their offense or, or the the you know of the the fighting Lane Kiffins of FAU. Yeah, FAU, like you said, they're 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 hitting on all cylinders, and Lane Kiffin's big name is circling around right now in the. Uh, in the uh, coaching uh, carousel, if you will, which we will also get to here shortly. Uh, But we'll talk about him shortly. Uh, FIU concluded their season this weekend uh, against, um, excuse me, uh, against Western Kentucky. They won 41 to 17. Actually, they didn't conclude. They have one more game. They beat Western Kentucky this week, 41 to 17. They conclude their season this weekend uh, against a four and seven UMass team. Uh, UMass, you never know which team's going to show up. Sometimes, you know, they play well. Sometimes they don't. I believe it was last year they started their season against Florida, gave them a little bit of a fit in the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, they they seem to have a pretty good defense. Not much going on on offense, obviously. Uh, I'm going to take my our, our FIU uh, uh, team down there to get the win. Yeah, the Golden Panthers, FIU, I, I would imagine they're going to get a bowl game invite because I, I believe they're bowl eligible. So, um, again, FIU has kind of flown under the radar because they don't have quite the uh, the, the, the loudmouth coach that some of the other places have. Uh, but Butch Davis down there has done a very good job, and, uh, and FIU is going to keep winning and, and likely make it into a bowl game, which is great for them. Also this weekend, uh, which would normally be the first game you'd talk about, Florida State at Florida. Uh, Florida State wins the game 38-22. to Florida didn't even look like they were really in the game. They had some spurts 
of, of, of life, but FSU's defense, which I've always said was better than Florida's offense, uh, proved to be the difference maker in this game. Uh, the good thing for the Seminoles is they kept their streak alive of possibly getting into a bowl game. However, I did find out, do a little research on this game, and, you know, this is probably up for debate as well, Doc. So a few years ago, not a few years ago, they had that, they had that class scandal at Florida State. They had games taken away from them, one of which was the bowl game. Now, they did go to the bowl game, but it was taken from them by the NCAA. Would that be a game that, that they missed? Would you would you still count that as them going? I, I think it depends on who you ask. If you're a Florida right. State person, then that game still counts. If you're anybody right. else, then <laughs> that game doesn't count. And, you know, I, I know Bobby Bowden, um, you know, I think he lost some games with the Free Shoes University scandal. So, you know, Florida State has this habit of, uh, of somehow losing games uh, several years down the road. <laughs> well, like you said, I think if it's up to the Florida State faithful, they're going to say that that game counted. So we'll go with them and say their streak is still alive. They have one more game uh, this week against Louisiana Monroe, which is the game they rescheduled. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Breaking I've news. I've been handed breaking an news. urgent and horrifying news story. Sounds like we got some breaking story. news coming in. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! So we got the uh, we got the the college football rankings have just come out, Sammy, and I uh, wanted to make sure we can mention this. We can talk more about it, but the uh, here's the top eight uh, currently going into the uh, conference championships. Number one, we have the Clemson Tigers. Number two, the Auburn Tigers. Number three, the Oklahoma Sooners. Number four, the Wisconsin Wisconsin Badgers. Number five. The mighty Alabama Crimson Tide. Number six, the Georgia Bulldogs. Number seven, the Miami Hurricanes. And number eight, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So we'll get a little bit more into that as we talk about the potential of what's going to unfold here. Um, and uh, as we talk more about uh, you know the, the next couple weeks here as the final college football rankings come out. Definitely. And it's going to get crazy here in a few minutes. We're actually going to get on the phone here with our with our special guest here shortly. Uh, and our last game that we wanted to t- finish off with was uh, our West Florida Argos, Division Two, went to West Georgia in Carrollton, Georgia, and won 17 to 14, moving them now to the quarterfinals of the FCS Division Two playoffs to face uh, a 10 and two West Alabama Tigers in Livingston, Alabama this weekend. Congratulations to the West Florida Argos. And if it wasn't for our show, a lot of us wouldn't know who West Florida Argos were. And now we got a Division II team in the state of Florida who's actually going to do something and do well. So we want to say thank you to them and congrats to them as well. And we're rooting for you, definitely. Go right Argos. <laughs> definitely go Argos. All right. So right now we're going to start getting into our – our news, and we've got a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, we have a special guest coming on. See if we can get to him here. And what we're going to do is going to call in now. Let's see. Chris, are you there? Yeah, man, I got you now. Hey, Chris, how are you, buddy? Good, man. How are you? We're good, good. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, just to give every, our listeners a little bit of information on you, Chris, if they don't know already, uh, Chris Doring, PK Young High School in Gainesville. Uh, went to the University of Florida as a wide receiver, All-SEC and All-American in 95. Drafted in the sixth round of the, in the 96 NFL draft. Played seven NFL seasons. 
He's a member of the Florida Georgia Hall of Fame and University of Florida Athletic Hall of Fame. Now a co-host on the STC Network. Uh, for everybody listening, Chris Doring's handle on Twitter is at Chris Doring. And on Instagram, cdoring28. It's a lot of information, Chris. When you're a big-time person, you got a, you got a pretty long bio. So sometimes it takes a little longer than normal. So I do apologize for that. Well, I'm just glad you didn't name off my all the NFL teams I've been on, man. It probably would have been quicker had you named the ones I wasn't on because uh, <laughs> you know, I moved around quite a bit during that 10-year stint. But uh, nonetheless, happy to have had a chance to play there and all those uh, things you mentioned and certainly happy to be on with you guys. We appreciate hey, it. Chris, it's Dr. Holmes here. How you, how you doing, buddy? Holmesy, how are you, bud? Good, man. You like the uh, the, the Tom Petty we, we chose for you for your, your I, background music? I do. Growing up in Gainesville, that was one thing that we were all well familiar with was that uh, Tom Petty was from Gainesville, Florida, walked the same streets as we did, and uh, somebody kind of cool to identify with. So it's kind of sad to to, uh, to think about him no longer being with us, man. Yeah, no, definitely. It's pretty cool to watch that uh, that the uh, the fourth quarter after the uh, We Are the Boys to see the uh, fans really get into the uh, Won't Back Down. Yeah, I haven't been been able to see it obviously in person, but I've seen the videos and and uh, I thought it's a a great tribute and obviously a fitting uh, fitting fitting song for uh, heading into the fourth quarter for sure. Chris, I got to tell you, I'm a documented non-Gator fan, unfortunately. Uh, but I was scouting the game uh, that they first did that in, that tribute in, and I got chills up and down, and I, and I actually tweeted what a class act I thought the University of Florida was for doing that, and to watch the entire stadium sing a song in, in, uh, in memory of Tom Petty, it was absolutely special. In fact, I'm getting, I'm getting chills right now just talking about because I can remember it vividly. Probably one of the single most uh, exciting moments of my scouting, uh, my scouting season this year. So congrats to them, and a very class act. For the Gators, you probably don't hear that a lot, so I just wanted to throw that in for <laughs> we, don't, we don't hear that from opposing fans, that's for sure. Yeah, so exactly, appreciate the exactly. No problem. Chris, Chris, well, Chris, Chris. This, guy, this, this guy's a Tennessee fan, so he, he can't say a hell of a lot right now after what just happened in the last 48 hours. Yeah, it's been, well, a, uh, it's been a, a debacle up there in Knoxville for sure, and, and you know, I think the interesting thing about it is that, one, you know, the, the power – that fans have now with social media and the connectivity of, of our lives today and the ability to basically block a coach from being hired, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. But secondly, uh, while they may have won the, they may have won the battle, they certainly lost the war because that, that uh, they didn't get Shiano, which I understand was not something that made many people happy there. But at the same time now, I think they've done some, some pretty serious irreparable damage um, when it comes to hiring the next coach and the reputation that they've may have developed nationally. I got to agree with that, you know, and not just obviously speaking as a Tennessee fan, but speaking as a college football enthusiast, more importantly, you know, it it just doesn't, it doesn't bode well for the guys that they're going to contact now, um, especially when new coaches that they're going to contact are going to say, well, you know, man, if I mess up, Clay Travis is going to go on, on Twitter and just kind of destroy my name. And next thing you know, I'll be fired and I got to move my family in five weeks. So, well, I think you know, that's the, the biggest, the biggest thing that I'm disappointed with is that, you know, in this, in, in our country, you're given due process and, and, um, you know, I understand that this was not a court of law, but, uh, this, this man's reputation was, was seriously damaged, um, based upon, third-hand information and never was proven anything uh, actually he had any knowledge of any, any of this stuff now obviously you know that's that's for somebody else to determine but um you know while i don't necessarily think of him as a great fit 
for the University of Tennessee or, or for that matter, the Southeastern Conference in general, uh, I know he's a quality coach and a guy that um, you know, a lot of people think highly of and have respect for. So I'm, I'm disappointed for what he must be going through right now. Yeah, it's, I, I got to tell you, you know, you know, I just I've listened to Clay Travis and the things that, you know, like like we spoke on the, the power of the social media right now, uh, you know, as far as going even going out to to tweet, you know, the AD's contact information, uh, which, which is semi public, uh, you know, for the most part. Uh, but just just the way I think it was handled, uh, I think it was a poor representation of, of what Tennessee's about. Uh, they've had a longstanding tradition uh, of, of good football and good football coaches there. And, and basically having a pretty solid program. And this was just an absolute I, – I thought it was an absolute black eye on the program to, to, as a whole, personally. Yeah, you know, I have the utmost respect for Tennessee. And while they were rivals of mine while I played at Florida, um, you know, it was always fun to go to Neyland Stadium and, and having the chance to cover them now with the SEC Network. You know, I, I think very highly of, of that fan base, a very knowledgeable fan base with a, a lot of tradition. Uh, but this is something that – not only, you know, as you mentioned, gives them a little bit of a black eye, but I think it also opens up Pandora's box too. Now, you know, other fans across the country see what the capabilities and possibilities are. Uh, it's almost like that old mob mentality. You, you certainly have some anonymity, almost like a Lord of the Flies kind of situation. And, and um, you know, when folks get together and gang up, and, and it, it can certainly gather speed. I can tell you firsthand from just the, the TV stuff that I do and the negative tweets and the negative social media that, that you experience, it's, um, you know, a lot of these people probably wouldn't say those things to you if they were in front of you and, and probably would be much opposite. But um, the fact that they have power uh, and, and that anonymity, it's a, it's a dangerous combo. You know, I, I, think that, I think this is a direct response to uh, the Tennessee fan base uh, salivating like Pavlov's dog over uh, John Gruden, which was which was a farce <laughs> from from the beginning. I mean, that was never going to happen. And 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 I think I think the administration and Gruden himself did nothing to stem that tide. And then the fan base was so hot and bothered by it that as soon as you got a coach, they didn't they didn't fit that same uh, kind of Hollywood profile. Then, then unfortunately they used this this uh, deposition as their reason why they didn't want them. So I, I think this really all stems back stems back to the whole Gruden rumors that really got out of control. And and I think for those of you probably yourself in the know, I mean, why why the heck would John Gruden leave uh, leave the job that he had to go into recruiting and doing all that stuff that yeah. that requires? You know, it's just that that well, was a big problem. Well, I, I certainly think that was unrealistic from the get-go, but I, I, at the same time, I don't think John Gruden did much to quell any of those rumors either. So, um, you know, not that he's responsible to do so, but at the same time, you know, it seemed to be a little bit of flirtation or, or uh, some sort of uh, at least not stamping it out, which um, you know probably only fueled the the, uh, the fire of that fan base and, and the thinking of the potential of that happening. But at the same time, think about it. Florida just hired Dan Mullen here yesterday and made the announcement on Sunday, and um, there were a lot of people that weren't excited about that. I mean, I think if folks got fired up about Chip Kelly, the possibility of a guy that's, that had the success that he did out in Oregon coming here, a guy that's coaching the NFL. And, and I think there is something to be said for the right fit. You know, I think in Gainesville here people just experienced the wrong fit with Jim McElwain and, and – um, you know, I think I think that uh, Chip Kelly much better fit for UCLA. Much uh, would have been interesting to see him come to the Southeastern Conference where he doesn't have any experience. Come to the state of Florida where he's recruiting a new area. Um, yep. it, it just I, it didn't seem to me like the greatest fit. But at the same time, 
you know, fans sometimes get attracted by the, the, the shininess of certain things and, and um, mm-hmm. don't necessarily think it all through or have the knowledge uh, that, that these athletic directors and people in the know do when it comes to making these hires. I agree with that. Hey, uh, we have a caller. Uh, we have a caller here. Johnny, are you there? Hey, guys, Sammy G and Doc, thanks so much for taking my call tonight. I appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, we got Chris Dorn. Awesome. Before I ask Chris a question, I'd like to share you guys uh, my favorite all-time Chris Dorn play. Uh, Chris, I graduated from Florida in 98. And first of all, I can't thank you enough for everything you did for the football program while you were there as a player. Uh, thank you, man. Through your career at UF, of course, of course you, through your career at UF, you had lots of amazing plays. You had, of course, the Kentucky Catch, which has kept that streak alive to, I think, 31 years now, I even know what it is. All-time leader, SEC uh, and UF touchdown receptions by the time you graduated. And, of course, you're a walk-on, even though getting a scholarship offer from that other school out west. So I can't thank you for that. But I got to <laughs> tell you, my favorite play of yours of all time, I'm not sure if you will remember it or not, it was against Tennessee, I believe, in 1994. So I had the game on tape. I know where you're going with this. I think the Gators won 31 to nothing that game. But during that game, you made a pretty great crap catch, and then you got tackled. And as you got tackled, you got right back up, and you just started jawing with a defensive player. Now, as you're jawing and going back and forth with the defensive guy, you were walking backwards and stepped on the ball and completely slipped and fell right on your back as you were talking crap. <laughs> Yeah. So, Sammy G, Sammy G and Doc, so what does Chris do? He gets right back up and starts talking trash again. So, it was just like the most awesome play ever. And so, me and my buddies watched that play over and over again, and we knew Tennessee was uh, done absolutely uh, bare goners that day. So, uh, I can't thank you enough for that, Chris. Now, uh, serious question. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me respond. Okay. Let me – I, I got to respond to this please. now. Please, of course. All right, so so first of all, I, I'm I'm amazed that you actually remember that, but uh, that is that's one of those moments. Now I, I will own that completely. Let me give you a little backstory. '94, sure. the week before we played Kentucky, and um, I was in the slot on the left side of the field. Danny threw me a little seam route. You're supposed to hit those about 18 to 22 yards. I'm going to throw my boy under the bus. He threw it about 35 yards, and the, uh, the safety came over and knocked me completely out. Now, so I'm I'm completely out of that game. I come out of the game. Next week, I'm back in there. Tennessee early in the game in front of 100,000-plus at Neyland Stadium. I catch a little pass and get hit in the back of the head, and the dude starts talking a little trash to me. So I, I'm always one to engage in that, and I'm busy as hell. So I'm, I'm, I can't barely stand up. I'm talking anyway, backing up, and step on the ball. And all I remember is the whole crowd laughing, like 100,000 Tennessee fans <laughs> laughing. If you go back and watch the tape, you'll hear that. But that is a completely true story. Uh. Well, I, I mean, my friends call me the vault for a reason. I remember all the, I, I remember all the non-important things in life. If I could memory, like, you know, no things of value, I'd be a billionaire. But my question for you is, is uh, does Felipe Franks have the right tools to be the QB for a Dan Mullen offense? And I'll take your call up there. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Sam and uh, Doc. Have a great show. Thanks, okay, Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think that's an interesting concept uh, to think about what – Felipe Franks might project to be in this offense. And yeah, I thought it was interesting yesterday when Dan Mullen made the statement that it, his offense is not necessarily one thing. And I think, you know, that's the important thing to remember. A great coach really finds a way to put his people in a position to be successful and, and takes into consideration the attributes that they have and, and utilizes that to the betterment of the team. And I think that, um, you know, Felipe, first of all, has, has played such a limited 
amount of football. He's a guy that played baseball a lot of his childhood. And, and you can see that as he's out there playing, he doesn't have the things that necessarily come uh, natural to him as a guy that's played for a long – doesn't know where to go with the ball sometimes. Some of that has to do with coaching. Some of that has to do with just general lack of experience. But, you know, I, I think um, you look at what Nick Fitzgerald has done at Mississippi State. He's a guy that you know, carries the football – uh, 15, 20 times a game, asked to do a lot of different things, much like Tebow did in the form of quarterback powers and read options and, and um, you know, different called quarterback runs. I don't know if Felipe necessarily has that type of skill set, but we do know he has a big arm. He's got size. Um, so with the right coaching, perhaps he could fit in. I just thought it was interesting today to hear the report of, of uh, Dan meeting with, with um, Justin Fields already, and, and I know they had a uh, – a four-star quarterback committed to Mississippi State. It'll be interesting to see if that's somebody that they try to recruit here. But I think the thing about Dan is he, he coaches quarterbacks extremely well. Obviously, you look at the track record of, of guys that he's, um, that he's coached over the years. It's a pretty impressive resume. Um, but, but secondly, it is the most important position in every offense. Let's be honest about that. As much as I'd love to tell you it's a wide receiver, it's the quarterback. And specifically in his offenses, you, you watched that Egg Bowl game the other night when Nick went down with that fit, foot injury. It completely changed that Mississippi State offense. And I know they, were, they had a freshman in there that didn't have a lot of experience, but you've got to have a guy that, that certainly can throw the ball, but most importantly – can run and complement guys like Aris Williams. You think back to Dak Prescott's days, that was the most successful offense because it had a complement with Josh Robinson, those two guys, inside-outside runs, very difficult to stop. So I'm anxious to see how this offense evolves here in Florida. But, um, you know, Felipe's still a guy that has some, some physical characteristics that would lend you to believe that he could be successful down the road. And for, the, for, those of you, for those of you who don't know, uh, Justin Fields is the uh, the number one recruit in the country. He's a quarterback out of Georgia. Um, he right now is, is verbally committed to Georgia. Uh, but uh, Dan Mullen made a, uh, a trip, uh, if you follow on Twitter, trip to Georgia to meet him today. Uh, some describe him as a, uh, a once-in-a-decade type quarterback, uh, a dual threat who, who you would think would be very successful in a spread offense. So uh, Justin Fields would be a, a tremendous flip if Dan Mullen is able to, to accomplish that. Chris, let me ask you, uh, I don't like to stick up for the Gators too much, but I will. I, this year I have to give them some kind, of, some kind of love. They started the season without seven of their key players. So, I mean, you and I, we, we've all played college sports here, but losing seven key guys to start your season and not having them for the entire year, I mean, it, it doesn't help your situation any. I mean, whether or not McElwain was the right fit or not, when you lose seven guys, I mean, you lose seven guys. You got guys that you, that you were depending on that aren't there anymore. So how much do you think that played into the way the Gators played this year and how their season went on? Well, I mean, I think it was huge. And, and you know, most people think of that whole group of guys that got suspended, that Antonio Callaway and Jordan Scarlett were the, the ones that were the most impactful. Now, I would, well, I would say that those were probably two of the best returning offensive players on that roster. But where you saw a lot of the impact as well was on the defensive side of the ball. And there were more missed tackles this year than, than Florida's defense can remember for a long time. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the lack of depth. I think the fatigue factor set in because a lot of those guys that were suspended were defensive guys in the front seven of the defense. And uh, you, we all know if you're going to play and be successful in the SEC, you've got to have depth, you've got to have the ability to rotate guys in there. So I thought the, 
the fact that um, obviously they lost two bell cows on the offense and, and then lost a ton of uh, backup guys defensively definitely set this team back, not to mention the mental side of it, the psyche of the team leading up right. to the, the first game of the season. That, that, that was huge in and of itself. Then you sure. get into the year, and I thought they finally made a good decision to put Luke Del Rio at the quarterback spot there in the, in the fourth quarter, late third quarter, fourth quarter. You saw the offense start to click. You saw a guy that knew where he was supposed to go with the ball, that got people lined up correctly, that brought some tempo and, and pace and rhythm to that offense. And um, I really thought that Florida was going to hit their stride with him. And unfortunately, that lasted about a quarter and a half before he was injured against Vanderbilt the following week. So now, again, mm-hmm. you're, you're moving to different quarterbacks. You got guys already out, and the injury bug um, bit Florida probably as hard as we can remember in recent years. You know, you're down sure. to, what, seven scholarship offensive linemen. You're down, you, you lose uh, probably your best running back in Malik Davis. Just uh, numerous injuries. Yeah, I mean, tons of, tons of different guys um, that, that, that go down, and it just made it tougher and tougher um, from a number standpoint. So it was, I, thought, I thought Gene Chizik on our show early in the season made a great comment when he said, Losing those eight or nine guys, whatever it was, was like being on probation. You know, you're down scholarships, right. you're down numbers, and uh, having to compete in the Southeastern Conference with a short roster is difficult to do. But yeah, it does, it, does, it. It, builds, it builds a lot of character. Sorry, Doc. It does build character for those young guys, especially when you have a young team as well. Now they've been in the fire. They know what to expect. They know how loud the stadiums are going to be. They know how fast the game's going to be. Those guys, believe it or not, with with the crappy year that the Gators had, it's actually a great – I think it's a great stepping stone for moving forward because now those young guys know what they're in for and they know how to prepare and get themselves ready for that. Sorry, Doc, what were you going to say? Well, yeah, at the end of the season, they had, I think, 51 guys on on 51 scholarship players available. So, like you said, it allowed a lot of – uh, young guys to get some opportunity to play. Um, you got to give a lot of a lot of respect and a lot of props to Randy Shannon, who did a tremendous job trying to to navigate the uh, the, the waters and and, and kind of you know do the best he could with a a tough situation. And I think the fan base is rejuvenated now with with Dan Mullen, a guy that had a lot of success here as an offensive coordinator from uh, you know with two national championships and a guy who took Mississippi State uh, to the number one ranking for five straight weeks. So I think the fan base is, is rejuvenated and is excited and, and, and optimistic. And, Chris, uh, if you could take a step back from your uh, you know current position with the SEC and as a former player, are, are you excited uh, you know with, with kind of the prospects of having – you know, Dan Mullen come back in here with with, with his uh, offensive pedigree and, and uh, bringing that to, uh, to Florida? Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of touched on earlier the, the reasons why I didn't think Chip Kelly was necessarily the right fit. You know, I thought that he was a guy that, um, while he did have a great resume, there's something to be said for experience factor, you know, in the conference and at the university. And, and so that, that was one that was, I was a little skeptical of. And then with the Scott Frost thing, it was kind of that same – deal like hey here's a new up-and-coming hot coach but if you look at it i mean he, he's scott's 42 years old he's almost my age uh dan mullen's 45 so those guys are pretty similar in age but yet dan mullen has been a head coach for what eight nine years now at this point in time has coached in the sec has been an assistant here at the university of florida knows the culture was part of those two national championship teams as you mentioned so he's recruited the state of florida has connections here in my opinion, and, and as I go on, it may, may not have been the sexiest hire on Sunday when the announcement was made, but as, it went, as I thought about it more, 
and had a chance to reflect uh, on his press conference yesterday. I thought he did a great job with that as well. Really did a nice uh, job of acknowledging Coach Spurrier and the success that, that he had, that we had during the, the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and, uh, talked to, said all the right things. But at the end of the day, all of those things that I mentioned really checked all the necessary boxes and I think made the most sense. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate to wins. It doesn't translate to uh, selling tickets. All those right. things have to come with success, but I think they did a good job of uh, giving them the best chance to have a, 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 a successful program moving forward. And now one of the things that they, they, he touched on right away, the, the, the strength and conditioning staff. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism about um, Florida's discipline. A lot, of Florida's di- a lot of teams' discipline comes from the offseason and the relationship that the, that the strength and conditioning staff has with the, with the players. Um, so I, I think that was something that was interesting where you said those guys better rest up during December because they're going to see something they've, they've never experienced before in January. And, and I, I'll tell you firsthand, that was one of the things that transformed my teams in the 90s. Um, in 93, I believe, 92, 93, um, Rich Tootin came back to Florida. Uh, and, and, and we did more in terms of advancing our mental toughness than, than maybe even physical toughness. The things that he had us doing, I think, really allowed us to become the team that we, we, we did during that, that mid-'90s run. And so the strength and conditioning staff is a very important part, uh, which I know that uh, Dan Mullen certainly has a good beat, heartbeat on. Once again, you're listening to 3 and Out on Blog Talk Radio, Sammy G and the Doc with our special guest, Chris Doring. Uh, <laughs> this Doc loves to play this music. We'll get to the sponsorship in a minute, Doc. Just want to give everyone the call-in number, 657-383-1684. Chris, I believe we have one more question from you from the Doc, and we'll let you get out of here. We don't want to keep you too long. Sure. Yeah, yeah Chris, you know, I, I've asked you this before in person. Uh, we, we were probably uh, – couple beers deep when I asked you, but how, how often do you get asked about the Kentucky catch? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I kind of say the same thing here when I, when I go speak at different Gator groups, and it happens to me routinely. Um, I hear two things quite frequently. One, I loved you on that 96 national championship team, to which I have to remind everybody that I was on the 95 team and not on the 96 team. The one I was on the 95 team that got the, the brakes beat off of by the uh, – Nebraska Cornhuskers out in the Fiesta Bowl. So that's always a painful thing to have brought up. Uh, but secondly, uh, I, I have such uh, – it's such an honor for me to have Gator fans come up to me and, and, and say, hey, Chris, I know exactly where I was and what I was doing in 93 when you caught that pass against Kentucky. Because as, as you think about your, your life and certainly as you get older, um, there are a handful of experiences that you can remember exactly where you were and what you were doing. And, uh, you know, things like the, the space shuttle – blowing up when I was a kid and, and um, you know, certain oh, yeah. experiences like that. But the, the fact that these folks have this memory and they relate it to me as, as one of the special times in their life means an awful lot to me. And as a lifelong Gator fan, a, grew, a guy that grew up in Gainesville, the son of a, a college of pharmacy professor here at the university, two graduates, my, my mom and dad both graduated from here. I went to Gator games from the time I was five years, on, five years old and on. And, and remember going through the struggles of, of watching uh, Buck Blue hit Lindsey Scott in, in Jacksonville at the Gator Bowl to beat, to beat the Gators, to, to watching Herschel Walker run all over us, to, to always hearing the cry of wait till next year, uh, for me to have had a chance to change the kind of trajectory of the program with that win 
um, and, and to have ingrained my name into the, to the Gator history really means a lot to me personally. And just to have folks share that story with me about where they were and what they were doing and what it meant to them uh, is something that I, I cherish and, and really enjoy getting a chance to reflect on with Gator fans. Good stuff, Chris. Well, listen, buddy, we'll let you go. Chris Doring, thank you for being on the show. SEC Network, uh, Twitter handle is at Chris Doring. Instagram is CD, or excuse me, CDoring28. Chris, we can't thank you enough, man. Honestly, it was a pleasure having you on, and we'd love to have you back anytime you want. Uh, Doc, you got anything for Chris? No, Chris, thanks, man. It's always great to hear from you. We love watching the SEC Network. It's great to see uh, a Gator be so successful, man. We're all, we're all proud of you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. I'll certainly be on with you guys again, and uh, best of luck to the show in the future. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Chris. Bye, guys. Take care, bud. Bye-bye. Chris Doring. Man, he gotta, he's got to stay away from footballs, man. He can't be walking backwards with footballs on the field like that. That's going to it's gonna hurt somebody. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great story. <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. Uh, let's let's give a shout-out to our sponsor real quick, uh, Sammy Safry. Cue that music, Doc. There it is. Sammy Safe Ride USA is the best and safest ride share. Servicing Volusia County, going out of town on business or going away for the holidays, Sammy Safe Ride travels to all airports in Daytona, Orlando, and Jacksonville, Florida. With the holidays right around the corner and Christmas parties coming up, call Sammy Safe Ride at 785-248-9200 or visit him on Facebook to book your ride today. Once again, you're listening to 3 and Out on Blog Talk Radio with, on Sammy G with the doc. Call the number 657-383-1684. Doc, yeah, that, was, that, 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 that was awesome. That was a great interview story, you know, talking about how much it means to him to have the Gator fans coming up to him. That, that was awesome, man. And, you know, we could have told him about me possibly denouncing my, my love for the Tennessee Vols last year uh, when, when we were all in – in Knoxville, uh, but let's just keep that on the wraps for now uh, because that might <laughs> come again this year. You never know what's going to happen this year when we go back. So uh, yeah. let's just keep let's just keep that on the wraps for now. Uh, moving on, uh, let, let's talk about a couple more coaching uh, situations here uh, before we get into the rankings. I wanted to talk about the Arizona State uh, firing. Uh, they fired a coach who was with a seven and five record, uh, who actually just beat their rival Arizona forty two to thirty. So the, the gentleman, the, the coach of Arizona State, had a winning record, career record as well. It wasn't just, uh, hey, uh, you, you're not very good. This guy's career winning record was 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 positive, and he has a has a winning year this year at seven and five, and he gets fired. Doc, it, it, are you safe at any point when you're coaching football? No, but but you're also getting paid uh, probably around five million dollars to to win games, and and that's what it boils down to. I mean. The, the head football coach at the flagship institution in any state is the highest paid state employee in that state, and, and it is expected that you win. So when you don't meet that satisfaction, and, and, and nobody's expecting Arizona State to be in the, uh, the playoff every year, but they should be expected to be in the, in the mix for the Pac-12 championship, no question. And, and if, you're not, if you're not that successful, then you're, you're not going to have a long tenure. So you start looking at, well, who would be successful? Well, Scott Frost has got some interest potentially in Arizona State. I mean, for those of you who have not been to Scottsdale and Tempe, it doesn't get much better than that. It is a great institution. we got Herm Edwards apparently has some interest there. So, you know, Arizona State should be right there with USC. 
Washington and Washington State as uh, as the as the nominee from the Pac-12 to make the college football championship, and and that's just a matter of, of that it is a great place to be and a great place to go to school. Well, speaking of coaching and speaking of Scott Frost, uh, you know I, I have I went on Twitter this week because I, I got to tell you I, I couldn't be more disgusted with the college football playoff situation here. <sighs> And whoever's picking these teams and ranking these teams, UCF is, moved up a whopping one spot in the in the playoff rankings from 15 to 14. One spot. Let me let me give you my argument, Doc, and, I, and you can tell me what you want to tell me. But this is what I'm thinking. You know, UCF is trying to keep Scott Frost and build their program there. I mean, that's just what they're doing. But when you come out and, and don't move a team who's 11 or excuse me, 10 and 0. Going into a or excuse me, eleven and zero, going into a conference championship game, which will probably win, so they're going to end up twelve and zero. And you're you're telling basically telling the, the program, hey, just because of your conference, you're never going to play for a national title. Now that sends a message to a head coach like Scott Frost, who they're trying to keep, who obviously they're they're probably not going to keep at this point, but they're saying, hey, buddy, you can go coach there, but you're never going to win a national title. So this is kind of like a a pit stop, you know, this isn't a destination job. It's a pit stop job for you to go and coach somewhere else. That just does not do great things for the university, especially for Central Florida when they're on the rise. And now Scott Frost as a coach is saying to myself, hey, if I can't win a national title, why, what am I going to stay here for? I've got to go to Nebraska. i got to go to Tennessee. I've got to go to, to Mississippi State. I've got to go somewhere else to win a national title. I just don't think that's fair to a school like UCF. It's not their fault who they're playing and who's in their conference. I mean, uh, what can these guys do, Doc? You know, I, your, your argument is valid, um, and I think your argument points to more the current system and the current setup of the college football playoffs more so than the woe is me, uh, you know, I, I, we are who we are. I think if you were to go to eight teams, it's a very easy argument. You go to eight teams in the college football playoffs – you get the five conference champions. They're automatically in, and that would include an eight to three type team or potentially some upset. But you take the five college champions. You take the highest rated non-power five team. In this case, it would be UCF, and you take two at-large teams, which in this case would be like a, a an Ohio State, maybe an Alabama, you know, maybe a Wisconsin if they were to lose. And, and, and that's your playoff, and, and that would answer this this, this whole issue. I, I agree 100%. It's not UCF's fault that they're in a smaller conference. Scott Frost has been very successful there. But the current system with four teams, there is no way that you could argue that UCF deserves to be in there, and 11 and 1 Alabama should not. It's just it's just the, 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 the fact of life that it's a different playing field, and that's just the way it is. But if you go to eight teams and you include the one – team who's a highest-rated non-Power 5, I think you have your answer. And I think we'll see that in the next five years. Well, listen, I I, can, I agree with that, too. I, I think the system is flawed, and I think they need to expand the playoff. I think they need to bring everybody who wins the conference championship, throw them in there, and let them battle it out, because that's truly the only test to see really who the better teams are. I mean, we're just saying that Alabama should be in there because they're Alabama <clears> and <throat> playing the SEC in their schedule – you know, they play, they play, you know, bigger teams, you know, UCF, you know, they, they they beat everybody that's in front of them. Why don't they deserve to play? Uh, you know, I've watched them so much this year. 
defense. And I can tell you right now that their defense isn't great, but their offense will score with any one of these guys. They're not going to go and lay an egg against Auburn or Clemson. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you right now, they might get beat, but they're going to keep it competitive, not win the game because they score so many points. I mean, it's just, it, it just doesn't, for me, I'm more, I'm more upset about the school more than anything because now if Scott Frost decides to leave, which he's going to have to because he's never going to win a national title at UCF, it is very obvious. Now they're going to get a coach in there who's not going to be as good as Scott Frost because those kind of coaches, Doc, you know just as well as I do, they're, they're, they don't grow on trees. It's like a six-foot-three corner. You can't just find those anywhere. They're not walking the streets everywhere. So now they're going to get a, a coach in here now after he leaves and because he's going to leave. I mean, there's, there's no reason he stays now. If he can't win there, why stay? So they're going to get a coach there. It's not going to be as good. It's just, it's just not great for the program. And I, I feel bad for UCF and what they're doing. And, and, and I, and I went on Twitter. I said they should sue the, they should sue the playoff committee or, or the, whoever's picking these, whoever's placing these guys into the playoff bracket or, or the rankings, sue them because they're, they're ruining their, their coaches there. I mean, it just says, hey man, we're never going to win. You're out of here. Anyway, I get, I get excited about it because I just don't think well, that I don't think it's fair for UCF to be honest with you. Well, I, I think our founding fathers are, are rolling in their grave when they're talking about filing lawsuits about uh, the college football <laughs> playoff. But but nonetheless, Orlando is one of the few large um, large towns that has a a institution that is successful. Think about think about the college football landscape and name me a number of large towns or big cities that have college football teams that are competitive. You got Los Angeles with USC. You've got Seattle with Washington. You know, I, I mean, you've got – I mean, there's not another – got Miami now uh, who's got, you know, the University of Miami. But UCF is positioned to be very successful. If, if the city of Orlando were to rise up, you've got Disney there, you've got all this tourism, you've got all this money coming in. If they want UCF to be successful, then they can be successful. There's no reason why Scott Frost has to leave UCF to go to Arizona State or to go to Nebraska because there are people in Orlando who could keep him there and he could continue to be successful. So the onus is on them. UCF, Orlando, you want to have a major college powerhouse? The onus is on you right now. You have every potential to do that. And if you let Scott Frost leave, that's on you. And you can't blame anybody else but yourself. I mean, I would have to agree there. And it's just, unfortunately, this is going to be a a bad deal for, for Scott Frost and, and, and the UCF Knights. And not only that, I mean, it might even be a bigger travesty that USF 9-2 and two is not even in the top 25. They just yeah. almost beat the number 14 team. They got how many teams with four losses now in the top 25? And USF, USF to me, it can beat North Carolina State, can beat Fresno State, can beat Virginia Tech and Northwestern. I mean, they can do it. So why aren't they in? Another another travesty there as well. Uh, but you yeah. know, what are you going to do? Same, same argument. Tampa Tampa is a major town. They can support USF. They got plenty of backers right there. If you want your school to be successful, then you have every opportunity to be that. Let's take another caller here. We got uh, a caller from three eight six area code. This is three eight six Fun uh, Daytona Beach. Uh, caller, what's your name? What's your question? Hey, guys, this is Mike calling. How are you doing tonight? Good, Mike. Hey, hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Good. Question for you. So as much as I'd like to talk about the Florida-Florida State game, uh, you know, it's really pointless now because the two teams, it's really just worse and more worse. Uh, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Auburn-Alabama game, the Iron Bowl. 
This is the anniversary that y'all know who Harvey Updike is. Do y'all remember that name? Yes, we do. He's the gentleman. He's the he guy that the poisoned the tree at Tumor Corner, correct? Tumor so yes. he's actually, yeah, he's a he's a distant cousin of mine. So like, you know, whenever this game comes about, roll, roll time, Paul, around, roll time. Roll, roll, yeah, roll time. Whenever this game comes around, you know, it's a sore subject because, you know, he, he feels bad about what he did. Like, you know, everyone makes a mistake. He was having marital problems at the time, I believe, and, you know, whatever. But, so, you know, and I understand in Auburn that tree is, like, really, really sacred. I mean, the only tree more sacred in Auburn is perhaps a Christmas tree. So my question for you guys is, have you ever disrespected the tree in any way whatsoever? And if so, did you feel bad about it? Sammy G, I'll, I'll let you answer this one. Uh, uh, you know that that's a anything that's held sacred is hard. Is you can't you can't disrespect. Uh, you know sometimes things seem you know seem like they're being disrespected, but they but they really aren't. And then sometimes there's a fabrication uh, of that said situation happening. Uh, but me personally, no, I have not disrespected any trees, Doc. I mean, me, 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 when I saw Florida play this season, I was so angry I could just spit on a Christmas tree. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Roll time, Paul. Roll time. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Sammy G, before we get too far and we're, we're getting our last seven minutes, anybody wants to call 657-383-1684. But give me your thoughts on Dan Mullen. We haven't had a chance to really speak about that very much. You know, I like Dan Mullen. You know, I, you know, Chris said you know a lot of good things, and you know, I, I watched his uh, his arrival on his on the Florida private jet with his family. Uh, he seemed like he's energetic and ready to go. I, I like his offense. Uh, they just had a big, big injury to their quarterback. In fact, let me while we have you here, Doc, let's talk about that injury uh, to uh, Fitzgerald there at, at Mississippi State. Uh, what did you see there? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Do you know anything about that injury? Yeah, so you know, I was watching that game, and 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 it appeared to have a, he had a fibula fracture, and a, uh, a dislocation of his ankle joint, and and although it's a very it's the same injury that uh, uh, Gordon Hayward had from the Boston Celtics, and although it looks pretty horrific because the ankle's dislocated, it's a very very common injury. It's something that orthopedic surgeons see all the time. Uh, simply reducing the ankle joint on the field and then fixing his fibula uh, with the plate and screws, he will do fine. He'll be back next season. As bad as it looked, it's about as common of an orthopedic injury as we see um, and something that he'll do fine from. What's recovery time on something like that, Doc? Typically, you're in a splint for six weeks and then a boot for another six weeks. So he's looking at about three months until he's like in, in a basic shoe. He's probably looking at four to six months until he's back to, to full go, running, cutting, pivoting. You get time for the fibula to heal, um, but but four months. So you know, here we are in November. He'll be ready to go potentially for spring practice. Um, you know, they may they may hold him out and hold him until the uh, the fall, but he could be ready for spring practice if things go well. Uh, so, I mean, because, you know, we see the gruesomeness of the of the picture of a foot turned the other way. Um, you know, it's just not as bad as most people make it out to be. Uh, so you're, you're telling us that despite the way it looked, it's it's a normal, common injury, and, and it should be okay. Yeah, it's something we see all the time. I mean, somebody, you know, obviously not in Florida, but somebody steps on a, a wet patch of ice in, in, in North Carolina and they roll their ankle, they end up like that. If, you, if you're walking, you're not paying attention, you step off a curb, 
and you roll your ankle, you end up with a fractured dislocation. So, you know, as a resident in orthopedic surgery, I probably saw one of these every two or three days. I mean, it is a super common injury. And as long as you get the fibula to heal, which is very, very easy, he will do fine, not having long-term repercussions. It just, it just looks really bad with your, with your foot turned, you know, 180 degrees, but, but, but it's something that he will, he will not have any long, long lasting repercussions from. Yeah, it didn't look the it didn't look the best, that's for sure. Doc, let's uh let's move forward real quick. Let's get into our senior spotlight. Uh if you don't mind, uh this week. Go ahead and cue me up some some yeah, of our I good you, music for, for our senior you. guy. All right, senior spotlight this week. We're gonna go with Quentin Flowers, quarterback at USF. Uh Mr. South Florida, the six foot, two hundred and ten pound dual threat quarterback from Miami is uh, probably one of the most, if not the most elusive quarterback in the nation. Uh, he's on the Maxwell, Davey O'Brien, Manning, and Johnny Unitas award list. Uh, right now he's looking at a seventh-round seventh round grade to UDFA uh, and is being looked at mostly as a running back athlete um, by most NFL teams. Um, and for me, you know, I don't know if you guys watched him this weekend, 503 yards passing. Uh, with four touchdowns and one interception. Like I said, he had the best, absolute best uh, game of his life. And also, although he rushed, he threw for 500, he rushed for 135 yards as well on 20 carries. So he was a leading passer and leading rusher in the game and, and totaled five touchdowns. So I, I guess yeah, he's he, pretty good. He, he looked awesome. He, he looked great. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think he'll get a chance in the next level. Obviously, probably not as a quarterback, but he looked great in that game. Yeah, I don't think he's had quite the arm strength. And, and I say that after he just threw all over the place. But when I've seen him, his accuracy has usually been off. Uh, he hasn't had a lot of consistency in his throws. Um, but, you know, I can definitely see him making a team maybe as a returner, as a running back, as kind of a gadget guy, a slot receiver, because you can't tackle the guy. I mean, the guy just – he's so quick and so elusive, it's hard to even – go near the guy. So uh, I think he'll end up getting drafted based on his athletic talent. They got him at the seventh round now, but I could see him moving up uh, into the fourth or fifth round based on his, his pro day and, and things like that. I'll vouch for you on that. Uh, your scouting report, because you sent that to us, uh, but that's exactly what you said before the game and you were spot on. So for those of you listening, uh, Sammy G is a professional scout uh, you got the unique knowledge to, to report on these guys, and he meant, he said that exact same thing before the game, and he was spot on. So I wanted to give you props there. I appreciate it. Hey, sometimes you treat the Gator people nice; they're nice back to you. I guess I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> just 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 what happens. Yeah, it's not often, but you know, I know you take your jabs as you can get them with with the Tennessee faithful. Anyway, Doc, let's get our victory formation going, man. What a great yeah. show we had today. Uh, in, in honor of Chris Doring and in honor of Dan Mullen, the Gator fan base is fired up. Tom Petty won't back down. Sammy G, lead us out. All right, guys. I want to thank everybody uh, for uh, for being for listening to the show. I want to thank our sponsor, Sammy Safe Ride USA. Give him a call at 785-248-9200 or visit him on Facebook to book your rides during the holiday season. And, Doc, want to thank uh, our special guest, Chris Doring, obviously, from the SEC Network. And, of course, the listeners, we want to thank you as well. Sammy G, signing off. Doc, you got anything? No, but if you're in Daytona, Sammy Safe Rides, hit them up. Razzles, Zenos, Candy, and every place you got there in Daytona. That's it. Peace out. <laughs>
See you guys. We'll see you next Tuesday, 8 o'clock. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye.